If you could turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16, and we'll go through 1 through verse 22, page 95 in your pew Bible. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time to the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall take a census full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense of the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of people of the people of Israel and because of the transgressions of their sin and so he shall do for tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness no one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for the assembly of Israel then he shall go out to the altar for altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he made an end of atoning of the holy place and the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat. 
and Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat and confess it over all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come together in prayer this morning to give you thanks. To give the Most High the thanks you deserve. Father, we thank you for the presence of all that are here to worship you, Father. Father, it is such a blessing that today we do not have to make a sacrifice for our sins. In the words of our Savior Jesus Christ, it is finished. The Lamb of God has been sacrificed. Our sins forgiven. God risen. Christ risen. And now seated at your side, waiting to destroy his enemies. Father, we thank you for the one blessing we all desire, which is salvation. We thank your everlasting love for us and the sacrifice of your son. Father, for the believer, we shall be prisoners of Christ. For the unbeliever, that doesn't sound pleasurable. But let him realize that he's already a prisoner of this world. He's a prisoner of his own sin, as well as a prisoner of Satan. Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit enter those that are in your favor. And let us rejoice and give thanks. There we are made right in your eyes because of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Savior. Father, through Pastor Cody, I ask that the truth be heard and that this flock be guided into a righteous path. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Leviticus is the book that we all look forward to getting to in our daily Bible reading somewhere around March where we can all come to a screeching halt and wonder what in the world we're reading. Maybe even as Jesse was reading it, if you're like me, the first time I read it in preparation for this, you get a bit lost. What's taking place? Why is it taking place? What's the significance? Why, are so, why so much detail? What does all the detail have to do with anything at all? And we hope to or I hope, if you will, this morning to unpack it in a way that's helpful and clear. And maybe, just maybe, uh, God will give us the grace that when we get to Leviticus somewhere around March, we'll actually look forward to it. Maybe make it through it. I trust that the Lord will bless this time as we study His Word. What is doctrine? It has a bad rap. Uh, it's a word uh, that some love and some think uh, trip up oneself and in the process of doing ministry isn't it about Jesus isn't it about loving others and why get caught up in doctrine why get caught up in in, in these heady things that might break relationships if we get too deep down a certain rabbit hole well let's just say very clearly uh, doctrine is just teaching that's all it is Uh, I'm I'm uh, doctrinally speaking to you I'm teaching 
Um, and, and when we go through the Bible, all we're doing is saying, what is the doctrine of this and the doctrine of that? And I put it another way, we're saying, what does the Bible teach us about this and teach us about that? And we can be helped, I believe, at times to uh, zoom in on one particular teaching and say, how does Scripture unpack this one particular thing? And so for the next two weeks, we'll look at the doctrine of atonement. What is atonement? What does Scripture say it is? How is it connected in other parts of the Bible? Now, last week, Eddie took us to the book of Luke. And one of the things we're told in the book of Luke is you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We should give ourselves mentally to the study of Scripture and seeking to understand how, how are these particular teachings, doctrines, drawn out in a way that help inflame my heart, my soul, my body, in worship to God. Now, as you read the book of Leviticus this year, maybe you, if you're reading a Bible plan, let me, let me su- give you a suggestion that even in study this week I was helped by. It may be very helpful to you. When you get to Leviticus, you're, every, for every two chapters you read in Leviticus, go read one chapter of Hebrews. It almost breaks down two for one. Two chapters in Leviticus, one in Hebrews. And as you go along, Hebrews is, if you will, the, the, the decoder for Leviticus. It helps draw out and explain all of the things uh, that Leviticus draws out in, in, in ways that we really don't see connected uh, to later on in the Bible unless you look at the book of Hebrews, which just unpacks it in a way like nothing else. Let me also encourage you, uh, come to small groups. We're going to take this passage, uh, each or e- one passage a week. This will be the, the passage I preach on, whether you be the passage that we study. Uh, if you don't have, if you're not on our email, uh, let me know. I'll get you on the church email. You can get the study questions beforehand. We're sending out this year three or four questions you can use in preparation for a Sunday morning. Those questions combined with a few other application questions will be discussed on Wednesday evening. And that's where you can get some of these questions answered that maybe I can't draw out uh, in the time that we have here this morning. Ultimately, what we're going to see in the next couple weeks as we look at Leviticus, we'll look at Colossians next week, is that holy God provided Christ's death to be the final for all time sacrifice that atones for the sins of God's people. Holy God provided Christ's death to be the final for all time sacrifice that atones for the sins of God's people. The way we're going to unpack our passage this morning, and we could have actually taken the whole chapter, is point one is entirely going to be the 22 verses. Um, Stay with me. I'm going to try to boil it down in a way that is helpful to you to be able to see what is going on with this particular group of verses. And then the second point, or the second half of the sermon We're going to go to Hebrews, and we're going to look at how Christ is this final and ultimate sacrifice for God's people. So, point number one, the blood of bulls and goats for Israel, Leviticus chapter 16, 1 through 22. Now, why Leviticus? Why do we have this book? Well, if we take a left in our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, in the book of Exodus, You have God's people in God's place about the worship of God. And they find themselves being 
exited from Egypt, and one of the the pinnacle themes is the holiness of God in the book of Exodus because the people of Israel find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai, and there they see the holiness of God, the the awe of God represented in a way uh, in in creation naturally uh, that just brought them such great fear. The question being then, how does one live next to, and this is analogy has been used by many others, how does one live next to the sun and, and not just be obliterated? I got that question this week from one of my children. We've been on the moon. Have we ever been on the sun? No, you can't be on the sun. The sun just scorches anyone who gets anywhere near close. But the sun is good. It warms us. It helps things grow. How does one be in right relationship with God who is both so powerful and majestic he incinerates anything that is imperfect and yet is entirely good? That's the question of Leviticus. And Leviticus is going to draw out how one can be in right relationship with this God. How one can stand next to the sun and feel its warmth and presence, have a proper and holy fear of God, and yet be in his presence. If you're looking at the book of Leviticus, it's broken down into 27 chapters. I'm going to just give you the Cliff Notes version of how you can be helped in this book. Chapter 16 and 17 is the hinge point of the entire book. There's things that are happening on the left, things that are happening on the right, The center of the idea of Leviticus is in 16 and 17. And what happens on the left and what happens on the right is very similar to one another. For instance, on the left in chapters 11 through 15 and on the right, chapters 18 through 20, is talking about how the people of Israel were to be pure. And they discussed a number of different things. The Bible does. On the left, it would be things like animals that are pure or not pure. Fluids that are pure or are not pure. Diseases, how one uh, interacts with life and death. On the right, it's purity as well, but it's moral purity. How does one act? If you keep going left and right, so purity on one side of chapter 16 and 17, purity on the other, go one more step out, you get the priesthood, chapters 8 through 10 and chapters 21 through 22. The left side, 8 through 10, is how the priests are to be ordained. The right side is how the priests are to the standards of the priesthood. Go one more step out. You have rituals. Chapters 1 through 7, you have these offerings and the different rituals of how they're to uh, do these type of offerings. Chapter 23 and 27, the right side, if you will, are the festivals, the days that are especially important for the people of Israel. Rituals, priesthood, and purity. Those three ways is what Leviticus describes for us as ways that the people of Israel could live near God's goodness and warmth without being destroyed. And centering on those three ways is chapter 16 and 17, which we're looking at this morning. This is the way provided by holy God for the sinful Israelites to have their sin covered so they could live in the presence of holy God. One cross-reference you might think about jotting down and looking at at another time is Exodus chapter 30, 
verse 1 through 10, where it describes in part what is taking place in Leviticus chapter 16. 16 is describing the Day of Atonement. It's, a, it's, it's the most holy day of all the Jewish festivals and feasts. It's Yom Kippur. It's still celebrated by Orthodox Jews. It was to happen once a year, chapter 34, uh, verse 34, and chapter 16 tells us this. Once a year, Aaron was to do this, the high priest. The Day of Atonement was the day in which the nation of Israel was to see someone cover their guilt. That's what atonement means. For someone to cover others' guilt. The blood was going to be spilt on this particular day that covered their sin, that covered their guilt and showed how they could be in right relationship with this good and yet holy and perfect God. Notice verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Well, chapter 10 is where Aaron's two sons improperly come before the Lord. Uh, They come in a way that is unholy. Uh, They come in a way that is uh, not prescribed by God. They come disobedient to how God had said the priests are to come before him. They're thinking, as some think, well, God's good. It doesn't matter how I get to God. He's loving. Who really cares? He's more concerned about just the fact that we want to come. Does he really care? No. He incinerated them. And you can imagine Aaron, uh, who has lost his two sons, being told by Moses on behalf of the Lord, saying, don't come unless you come the right way. You've seen your older brother, you've seen your younger brother disciplined, and a child thinks, I ain't doing that. I'm not going down that road. And that's exactly what's taking place here. God is intensely, I, I, I looked for different, for different uh, synonyms to help us here. And that's the one I've come up with. God is intensely particular about how we can be in his presence. If you get nothing else from the book of Leviticus, get that. He is is detailed down to, I want you to sprinkle with a fingertip seven times on the east side of the altar. He is intensely particular about how we can be in his presence. And what the people of Israel knew And what I trust we are reminded on a regular basis is God's perfection does not abide in perfection forever. He cannot abide it. In fact, it is His holiness that incinerates it. In fact, the, the people of Israel knew they were in relationship with God. We as Christians know we're in relationship with God. And yet we have to be reminded God is not pleased by our sin. Even those in Christ. He he does not look at us in love and say, and I also think what you're doing is great. Do that again. Go back and yell at your spouse. That'll work. I, I, I think that's wonderful. I love you so much. Now he detests these things. As a father would look at his 
son and be proud of his son, be proud of his daughter, and yet say, don't, don't do that again. That is wrong. That doesn't happen in this household. God is not pleased by our sin, though we are in Christ. Now, these first five verses is how Aaron, the high priest, is to come into the presence of God. And you notice just a few things. I'll move through this fairly quickly. But he's to bring two different things in with him. He's to bring a bull in. He's to bring a ram in. The bull in verse 3 is for a sin offering. The ram is for a burnt offering. And he has some different requirements. There's the garments and the bathing requirements that he has to bring. And then he's also told he's to bring two male goats. One for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering. So you see there in verse 5, he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. So he's got a goat, two of them. He's got a ram. He's got a bull. He's got requirements of bathing and dress. And he's then able to go into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. He's only to do this once a year. And then chapter 6, verse 6 through 22, describes what he does with those particular animals. So here's the animals. Here's how you can come in. 6 through 22 describes what he's actually going to do to atone for the sins of Israel. Notice verse 6 through 10 are specific instructions regarding the bull and the two male goat offerings. The bull is for the sin offering, atoning for Aaron and his household. That's verse 6. And then the goats, verse 7 through 10, are presented before the Lord. The Lord chooses goat one or goat two. And that's how I'll describe them from this point forward. Goat one and goat two. Goat one, not so good. Uh, He is sacrificed. Goat two gets to run wild. But God's the one that was going to choose which was going to be goat one and goat two. Goat one becomes a sin offering. Goat two of the Lord's choosing would be to atone for the people's sins and be sent into the wilderness to Azazel. Now, what is that? Maybe you caught it when Jesse was reading it. Verse 10. The lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it. Uh, There is not clarity in Scripture on this matter. Uh, Some would hold to it being a demon. But the majority would say that it's traditionally known as the scapegoat. The scapegoat. And that, I think, is probably the easiest way to understand what is taking place here. We'll see that in just a moment. Verse 11 through 19. Here is now how Aaron is to sacrifice the bull and goat number one. There's incense that's to be included. There's specificity of the use of of blood, where it's to be placed, the method, the repetition. All of it, you'll see verse 16 there, because of the uncleanness of the people to atone for the holy place. So he's going to atone for three things. The holy place in verse 16, the tent in verse 16, and the altar in verse 18. Now why blood? Well, that's where seven, chapter 17 helps us. If you'll turn there, look with me. Chapter 17, verse 11. Notice what it says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement 
by the life. Verse 14 as well in chapter 17. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. In essence, what you're seeing with the sacrifices and the blood being dripped in certain ways is the life, blood representing life, life was being given to atone for the sins of the people, to cover the guilt that was taking place in the holy place over Aaron, his household, the tent, the altar. And so these animals would be sacrificed in order that blood would be spilt, the life would be given to atone, to cover the guilt of the people of Israel. Now verse 20 and 22, and then our explanation of this is somewhat complete, is goat number two. Uh, This is the goat that will not be sacrificed. God has chosen this particular one in order to be the scapegoat. Look what happens, and I'm just going to read it for you. You need to follow along here. Look at 20 through 22, because this, there, there's a couple of really big things that are taking place theologically, doctrinally, that, that Hebrews is about to work out for us. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, And all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat. And send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man. Who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now you're reading that in March. And you're thinking what's the point of that? The pastor said goat number two got away. That just must be what it means. Oh, the picture here is strong for what Christ does for His people. How is the sin of one covered? It was by the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It's by Christ for all His people. We, we can, Leviticus, one of the things it does is it helps people understand when they could be in, in the presence of God. And so if, if one touched, uh, say, a diseased person, well, they were unclean, they were impure. They weren't wrong to touch that person, but they could not take in their impurity and go stand before holy God. He's holy, cannot abide that impurity. And so there was the process of which they could go from being impure to being pure in order to be able to be in right relationship with God, be able to be in His presence. We see in Hebrews here, the blood of Christ is that which cleanses us from all of our sin. I would like you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. If it's the blood of bulls and goats for Israel, point number two, it's the blood of Christ for us. Holy God provided Christ's death to be the final for all time sacrifice that atones for the sins of God's people. To understand the glory of the atonement, to understand the need for the atonement, 
We must understand the reality of our sin and God's holiness. Sin is a real problem in the economy of God. Uh, Children, that unkind word you said to your brother and sister and then five seconds later it was over and you kept playing with whatever you were playing, that's a real problem to God. Uh, when, when we as, as adults uh, worry for a moment or two or we, we look off and, and we lust after this or that, we're jealous after this, that's a real problem to God. Uh, that, that is not uh, something that he just sweeps under the rug as if it didn't happen and, and no, it, it's a real problem. And in fact, it, that, the, chapter 16 and 17 of Leviticus is so wonderful for the people of Israel because they understood at Mount Sinai that sin was a real problem. Uh, they saw it in ways, uh, naturally, that brought them such great fear. Lightning and smoke and fire. and They saw, in a sense, the closeness of the holiness of God. Our sin requires the punishment of God. Jesus Christ covers our sin. He atones from our sin from the wrath of God. That's what Jesus Christ is saying from, saving us from. Ultimately, it's from the wrath of God. He's saving us to eternal life, yes, but he's saving us from the wrath of God. I don't know what takes place in your home as you drive down the road or around the table But we should teach, whether it's our grandchildren, whether it's our children, uh, whether you're just babysitting and you have an opportunity to instruct a child, teach children about the reality and weight of life and death around us. Those are two things God controls. He controls everything. But those are the two that we know for sure we can't control. We think we can control other things. But God controls life and death. So if you're burying the goldfish... Talk about death and talk about life. If, if you drive by the armadillo who didn't make it across the road fast enough, talk about life, talk about death. Puppies, newborns, miscarriages, ambulance sirens, open caskets, burial plots, dead birds on the windowsill, fawns, kittens, They're displaying the the power of God to create life and also to take life. He alone holds it. To preach the gospel each week to you is in part to declare what the sacrifices were, in part to, to communicate routinely to the people of Israel. You know, the sacrifices for Israel was to say, in part, turn from your sin. Don't do that. Blood has to be spilt if you do that. And then they would see that blood. We see the rugged cross and the pouring out of the blood of Christ. Death and only death could satisfy the divine justice of Almighty God. The cross is a future hope for you. But it's also a present deterrent for today. It tells us that sin has a cost. And to turn from our sin now rather than await the cost, the consequences. The empty cross is a continual reminder that sin has consequences. And yet at the same moment, it's the shedding of the blood of Christ that reminds us that the Christian now has a covenant familial relationship with God that will never, ever go away. 
Blood had to be continually spilled by the goat, by the bull, by the, by the, the, the pigeon, the dove, in order for them to be an, in the presence of God. The perfection of the blood of Jesus Christ has carried us into the presence of God and nothing can remove us from the presence of God. The cross tells us, no, don't do that. Stop sinning. Don't go that direction. Be warned. Fear God. And yet the cross also tells us, yes, come. You are forgiven. He has extended mercy to you. See, ultimately what we see in all the the pictures of Leviticus chapter 16 and even 17 is Christ is the first goat. He's the second goat. He's the high priest. He's the blood He's the lifeblood that satisfies God's wrath and allows sinners to fellowship with God forever. So look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. There he's declared as the priest. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Christ did that. Turn two, two, two chapters over, Hebrews chapter 7. Here he is again as the priest. Chapter 7, verse 27 and 28. Christ has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. That's what Aaron was doing at the beginning of Leviticus 16. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made for perfect forever. Two more chapters, or three, Hebrews chapter 10. Here it is again, the priest. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He's also the sacrifice. I'll read for you John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus, that is John the Baptist, coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You may have it memorized. If you do, you can follow along as I read it. Here is, here, here is Christ as, as, as goat number one, if you will. The one that was sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's also the goat that had the sins laid upon and was sent far away. Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to turn there if you will. Isaiah chapter 53 I'm going to read a number of verses there. Isaiah 53, 4 through 10. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Could you see the picture? I'm praying you see this picture. Sin laid upon a goat, head of a goat, sent away, carried away, Removed, never to come back into the wilderness, never to afflict the people yet again. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Psalm 103. God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's directly out of Leviticus 16 and 17, this picture of the scapegoat being sent out, never to afflict the sins of the the, the people of Israel yet again. In Christ, God removes our sin and it never, ever is to impact us again. God provided Christ's death to be the final for all time sacrifice that atones for your sins. You know, the, the wonder of, uh, of Leviticus 16 and 17, the wonder of, of Christ, the wonder of Hebrews is that God saves sinners. I mean, up until this point, how does one, from Genesis chapter 3 forward, how does he get to be with God? God kindly provides a way for sinners to be saved. You can't save yourself. That's one of the that's the that's the point of Leviticus in a sense. That's the point of the gospel. Is one sinner, a million sinners, they can't save themselves. The blood of bulls and goats doesn't save. No one's capable of saving themselves, but God has provided Jesus Christ who can save. I don't know where you're at this morning and your understanding of Jesus Christ, but if you're if you're not saved. You'll know that. Will you turn from your sin? Will you turn from your stubborn ways of being good in order to find God's eternal approval? Instead, will you cry out for mercy to God to save you by the perfect work of His Son, Jesus Christ? The eternal blood of Jesus Christ was spilled. Our life is in that life blood. Packer says this, J.I. Packer, the great theologian, He says this of the atonement. It's the best part of the best news that the world has ever heard. He's right. It's the best part of the best news that the world has ever heard. The day of atonement already happened for us. That happened at Calvary. It's it's a day that is to be remembered. In fact, we're going to remember it here in just a moment at the table, the Lord's table. And yet it's no longer to be observed with the ceremonial sacrifices or annual celebrations. In fact, that, that's, that's one of the parts of, of Revelation is that the celebration is on every day for the Christian. Because the sacrifice is over. 
It's finished. It's done. And Jesus Christ has done it perfectly to atone for the sins of his people. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We've had a brief glimpse at the wonder of the best part of the best news that the world has ever heard. Father, we're grateful that Christ not only atoned for our sins, He removed our sins. He not only covered our sins, He provided the way to be in right relationship with You, Holy God. Father, when we we sung it and Christ said it, but may we understand more appropriately, biblically, the significance of Christ saying it is finished. Father, we would ask that you would help us even now as we would take this table. Uh, May it be that which uh, encourages us, helps us, strengthens us. May it be that which uh, reminds us that the day of atonement, Calvary, has happened for us, the believer. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.